Yo, welcome to How to Write a Novel. So this episode is, uh, it's a little long and kind of rambly. But I thought since it's already long and rambly, why not uh, add a little bit to it? Because at this point we're obviously just chronicling the, uh, the long, weird plateau <laughs> of being just really deep into this fucking novel. And everything's going slower and slower and slower, but still, I don't know. Feels pretty good to me. In fact, my little writing uh, routine has been really good lately. Where, man, after the nightmare summer, I definitely, I just, I just hate summer. <laughs> I just hate it more and more. Fall is definitely my favorite time of year. So we're at this perfect period where the mosquitoes are mostly dead. Not entirely, because they're so insanely resilient. But for the most part, they're not a problem. But the weather's at that perfect spot where it's not brutally hot and it's not the frozen deep freeze yet. And what I've been doing is making little standing desks in the woods. This had never occurred to me before. I was always trying to find somewhere to sit. And in the winter, all of the uh, logs and stuff soak up a lot of water. So I had a little camping chair and all this stuff. But what had occurred to me is because I've been doing standing desk stuff at home, there's a lot of fallen trees in these woods and you can just find fallen trees that are the perfect height to just put my little Chromebook on and just stand there and do work while I'm in the woods, soaking in the woods. So I found this one spot in particular I really like. I'll make it like the episode image on the podcast. This tree that is just perfect and it's uh, a part of these woods that it is an official trail, but it's like the most fucked up one. It's all gnarled and roots and swampy and almost nobody ever comes there. And yeah, that's been my routine lately is just to go there, hang out, do some writing. And I had some little writerly things happen recently that I just thought I'd mention. One of them is there was this one chapter of my novel, my novel Explode, when I first got back from Japan, I was in Vancouver. And I remember describing this chapter that was so difficult that uh, it was the only time I just scrapped a whole chapter and started over because it was just going so poorly. It took me a really long time to write that one because it was about how our main character, Surratt, how her planet, like why did it explode or implode? Why is it gone? And the story is that it's this, this being from another dimension. Or if not that, even to simplify it a little more, maybe it's just a rift into a different dimension. And the core of our planet kind of got sucked out and then the whole thing collapsed from there. But the way it's described or understood by both of these species in this story is that it's kind of like this boogeyman, scary story this fairy tale they always heard of this, this monster that can't hurt you as long as you don't know about it. But it's like the dangers of knowledge. Once you are aware of it, it becomes aware of you. And what if this thing is real? What if that's a real thing? And what if that's what happened? And it's really kind of uh, really out of sorts with the rest of the story, which is mostly just two characters hanging around talking <laughs> and this one character in a very slow gradual way getting over a traumatic thing that happened to her 
this is a way different scope and just uh and not necessarily that important to the story either just a weird thing in general so i found it really hard to write but now that i'm coming to the end of the story that's going to come up again so rat's going to bring it up again of just like you know you've always been pretty honest with me she'll say to quailum the jellyfish boy about all the stuff we've talked about, you don't seem like a liar. So what, what is that all about? What is that fucking dumb story you told me about the fairy tale monster? So just to make sure I wasn't repeating stuff or I wasn't just rehashing the same exact conversation, I very rarely go back and read old chapters because I used to do that all the time. I've talked about that before too. I used to finish a chapter of something and then revise it and revise it and revise it and revise it till it was all polished up and then move on. But I found it just really killed my momentum, which as you, as you know, is not fast anyway. I can't really afford for my momentum to be any slower than it is. <laughs> you know, I'm barely breaking orbit as it is. I'm barely fighting the powers of entropy and gravity as it is. So belaboring each chapter after it was finished just uh it just ground me down until it wasn't fun to work on things anymore and i would just quit and i found it wasn't actually very useful because by the time an entire story is done or i mean i hardly ever finished entire stories but once a big chunk was done and i went back to revise it kind of turned out all that work i did wasn't that important because in the greater context now that i could see things more clearly in the larger picture, I still had to change a bunch of stuff anyway, so what was the value of all that revising? Whereas, on the other, other hand, like, there's so many little details about writing, and it's so complicated. You could take that as an argument to just write a quick first draft that's just really shoddy, because who cares, you're going to have to fix it anyway. But that's not really what I'm talking about. As I've talked about before, I want each beat of the story to feel right, each emotional progression like the, the emotional progression of each moment i need it to feel solid that would not happen if i just wrote a quick first draft however this like going back and polishing isn't changing those fundamentals it's really just moving words around and commas and smoothing out the actual writing and it's just not important to do that at this point but it is important for <laughs> the way Brianna Mariah describes it. I always liked her. She's like, I want my story to have good bones. You know, they could be baby bones, but these bones need to need to be able to grow into a strong skeleton. <laughs> There's something weirdly creepy about that description, the baby bones of your story, but I like it. So, yeah, I don't go back and read stuff after I'm done the first draft of it. I just keep moving. So I haven't read this chapter in whatever, two or three years. But in this case, I went back just to make sure I wasn't just rehashing the exact same conversational beats. And what I found, which isn't like so unexpected, I guess I didn't expect it, but I'm also not surprised, is that it's really bad. That chapter in particular is very bad. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, like that was really hard for me to write. And you can really tell. Just reading back, it just sucks. Because what I try to do generally, I don't talk about style a ton in this podcast because I really think that's kind of an individual thing. It's probably better not to take style advice from other people, you know? It's just go with what you feel is your thing. 
but generally I try to write in a quite straightforward way without too many big words, without too many complicated fancy pants sentences that are, you know, fucking backflipping over themselves. I mostly just want it to be quite simple and straightforward. I, I kind of want the writing part to be invisible. You know, I don't want people to notice my writing. <laughs> like, oh, look at that. Look at that turn of phrase. Oh, le mot juste. You know, I don't need any of that. I just want the story to be as clear as possible. So, I mean, honestly, a lot of this book is just a lot of very back and forth. He said, she said. Whereas this chapter, I guess, because it's this weird topic they're talking about, and it's also at this point in the story where Surratt has not connected up with the, the station proper yet, so they're still having to talk through a translator. That's something I think is going to be cool if it works, but, like, Quaylen the Jellyfish Boy is much harder to understand at that point in the story. Whereas at this point in the story, I just write him like a normal character with maybe a few fewer contractions <laughs> than anyone else would use, but you know, basically she can just understand him. Where at this point he's really struggling to explain what he means, and it's doubly difficult because he's explaining this thing that he knows sounds insane. And instead of my usual straightforward style, reading it back I felt confused. I'm <laughs> like, what exactly? I don't know, I, it definitely, it needs some big time rewrites. The bones are fine. The beats are fine. The thing that's actually happening is fine. The actual writing is not fine. It's very confused. However, it's not all bad, because there's also a thing I noticed in there that I, I really like, where my plan with this uh, story is for there to not really be swearing because... because these characters are not speaking English, you know, they're speaking their respective alien languages that is being translated to one another. And I just feel like putting 20th, 21st century swearing in the story, English swearing, would probably date it quite a bit and is just, just kind of weird. I just don't want to send people down unnecessary mental processes that will confuse things. Like if I were reading this story and there was like, hey man, fuck you, dick bag. Why don't you eat a bag of dicks? You know, if that was in the story, that would really make me think like, so this space rhino from an indeterminate time, presumably the future, maybe, maybe not even in this reality, who knows, but on a space station somewhere far, far away, has the colloquial term eat a bag of dicks in their vernacular, <laughs> you know, like what? No, they don't. And then it just, it makes you think about the author instead of thinking about the story. And I don't want to do that. However, as the story's gone on, I mean, as you know from this podcast, I swear all the time. I get comments about it because I do a little podcast with my mom where we uh, review old TV shows, which uh, once I get traveling again, I'm not sure how we're going to do that. But every once in a while, one of our episodes, I toss them on YouTube, and every once in a while, one of them catches on a little bit. So like one of them is like Perry Mason, revisiting Perry Mason. And I just got a comment of like, this swearing is not necessary. <laughs> I've gotten that more than a few times because we generally watch old TV shows so we get comments from old people. They don't like the word fuck. They don't like all this, this naughty language. So as I've been writing this story, it started to slip a bit where, you know, I'm just starting to run out of 
other ways to have Surratt talk. So there is some swearing, but my presumption is that on the next draft, I'll take all that stuff out. However, there's a part in this chapter that I didn't like, but where Quaylem is telling her this upsetting and very impossible to swallow information about what happened to her planet. And she's really agitated and she says like, what exactly do you think you're doing here? Like she's just incensed, like she just feels like he's lying to her. So she says, what is, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to see what it'll take for me to kick your fucking head in? And when I read that back, I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> like if I'm gonna leave one, I should leave just that one, just to show that she's trying to keep her cool, but she's very upset right now. <laughs> you know, like I'm ready to punch you in your face. Why are you telling me these fucking things? Why are you lying to my face about this? The most important thing you could ever be talking about to me, you know, why are you doing this? <laughs> so, so that's nice. Like the chapter, it's mostly bad, but then there's that thing that I'm like, oh, that's good though. I'm leaving that. That's a good idea. The one swear worm, the one F-bomb, bam. So no particular point to that ramble, just that, uh, I haven't talked much about revising yet. We'll get to that. But this rare opportunity to go back and look at uh, a previous chapter was much worse than I expected, but there is good stuff in it and I think it'll be fine. I'm not at all worried. I don't think the other chapters are nearly as, uh, as fucked up as that one. And in a lot of ways, like I do think uh, being a quote-unquote good writer is not that important. You know, like whenever you see a movie about writing or whatever, the superhero version of writing, Finding Forrester or something, you know, a lot of it is just, oh, you write it and it's genius. You just write a thing that's, that's brilliant. But I think that's, you know, again, that's just the, the fantasy of being a writer and is not important because that's, uh, I mean, hey, if you are somehow like that, good for you. You're one in a zillion. But you don't need to be like that. That's not what's important. What's important is to recognize what's bad. You don't even need to know how to fix it. It might take you a lot of tries, but as long as you can always know when something is bad, I think that's the most important skill you can have as a writer. Because then you revise it and you put it aside for a bit and you let your subconscious sort things out. And then you come back and you see if it's still bad. <laughs> and if it is, you try to fix it again. And you do it as many times as you have to till it doesn't seem bad anymore. And then it'll be good, <laughs> you know? Being able to know what's bad, being a good editor, is by far, I think, the most important skill a writerly person can have. And I feel like this might make my personality a little annoying, is that uh, I have very specific ideas of what I think is good. You know, I could name what books and video games and movies and TV shows I think are good on, like, you know, not one hand, but two hands. <laughs> I hardly like anything. I just only really like very specific things. But the good thing about that, since art is subjective, of course, is I know what I like. I know what I want. And uh, like, it's never confusing. Never. 
it's super clear. If I read something or see something and I just am like, nope, that ain't it, chief. Be it with someone else or with my own stuff. If I ever put out something bad, believe me, I knew it was bad. <laughs> you can start looking into ulterior motives. What happened? Did he owe a lot of tax money? Was he being threatened at gunpoint? What happened? Something happened because uh, if you're into the same style as I am, I'm going to produce that style. It can't not happen. I just won't put it out, you know? It's <laughs> just if I think it's bad, I'll just stop and just go, well, I don't know how to fix it, but I know it's bad. <laughs> this really is going to be the most rambly episode of all time because, I mean, I already recorded the second half that's going to come after this, so I know already how rambly that one is. This is really not much better. But again, you know, we're so deep into this podcast, I got to assume at this point, if there was anything to learn from my little journey, it's been learned, right? Like, <laughs> it's just got to be like, hey, I, I don't know. I don't hate the sound of that guy's voice, I guess. So I'll just keep listening. I can't imagine why else. Because again, it's like the, the same thing as I was saying that the three-quarter stretch of a story is the hardest part for me. This is also the three-quarter stretch of the podcast. The early stuff was like, hey, getting all set, doing this stuff, writing a book, having ideas. And then maybe it'll be exciting again when it's done. Holy shit, the book's done. Whoa. But right now we're in the three-quarter stretch and it's neither of those things. But all right, I'm at the path that leads up to the other path that leads to my standing desk. That's one benefit to being trapped here for so many years in my hometown. I know the fuck out of this place. Odell Park in Fredericton. It seemed pretty confusing for the first year, year and a half. I kept finding new places and new stuff. Not anymore. I know every goddamn thing now. But yeah, as I walk up this final stretch, the other thing I wanted to mention is that even though this book is taking a crazily long amount of time because I'm just going so slow, which again, I just uh, don't know that there's anything I can do about that. Every day, I come out here, set up my standing desk, but I've been noticing that inadvertently, other stuff is getting done too. <laughs> so I've still got my thing where you know, the main novel's what I work on every day. Gotta do something on the main novel every day, even if it's just a little. Then I try to work on other stuff, but that's way looser. That's, uh, the way I used to approach writing, where I did not have a strict daily goal, or, you know, having to work every day, I would just kind of work on stuff as I felt like it, and just hope something would get done, and it never did. But that's how I approach my secondary tertiary etc stories i just work on them as i feel like working on them and there's like uh the story the nowhere i've brought up a few times about the two little girls trapped on an island i've been finding that very hard to work on because i'm at the point in the story where the littler girl has kind of lost her mind and the whole thing's kind of based on my brother's schizophrenia and i just hate dealing with it even in a story <laughs> so i just it's going fucking slow. Take long, long breaks on that one of just like, well, I haven't worked on that in fucking four months, but again, it's not the primary story, so who gives a shit? And there are benefits to just letting your mind chill. If I'm not ready, 
to push forward on it, then I'm not ready. However, I mean, it's still three quarters done. It's a lot harder now than it was before. This second part of the story is a lot harder to write than the first part, but it's still like very far along, which is just, like interesting. It's like, even though it's taking me so long to write this one novel, I'm not starting from scratch on the next one. I've got a next one very far along. But also there's a story, I haven't brought it up very much, but I know I have mentioned it, but it's been a while because it's been a very long time since I fucked with this story, but it's about this girl who can split into four, four versions of herself. And it's based on, there's this YouTube, YouTube series called Platoon of Power Squadron by Jake Jarvie, who he's actually working on his first official horror movie right now, which is really cool. But there was a character in this YouTube series who split into four versions of herself. And it's like one of the versions is the confident one. <laughs> and when that version of her is split into its own clone of her, it's confident as fuck. It's the embodiment of confidence. But now, now her confidence is gone. It literally walked away. And you know, it's just that classic using a superpower as a metaphor thing. But I just thought that was so fascinating. I was like, I want to write a whole story about that. That character's so good. And one of the little, uh, a lot of the details of this took me a long time to unravel. Partially because I was a little blinded by the source material. I was following it a bit too closely. I had to let that sort of fade away. Till I could come up with my own. You know, I could see my own spin more clearly. But one of the things with this story is the character's name is Evangelina and the little, uh, What's the word? Like the little gimmick is that each version of her is a part of the name split up. So there's Eva, Angel, and Lena, you know, and those three, those three names can be separate, but if you combine them together, it's Evangelina. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of a neat little clever ass thing. But that's only three names where there's four parts to this character. So originally I had the original be Eve, E-V-E, and the confident piece of her be Eva, E-V-A. And I thought that might just be kind of a neat thing that those two are the two most connected. They're the two main characters of the story. I thought it would be kind of a neat thing for their names to be so similar. Eve and Eva. And then I just haven't worked on that story in like a year. <laughs> so the other day I was thinking about it and uh, just looking back, it's like nice how things can just be so much clearer once you've let them sit for a while. Where I realized like, like I always had a big problem with the names. Like how do I make this not be overly confusing? Like in Platoon of Power Squadron, they just use numbers, one, two, three, and four. And I was like, well, I could do that. Then I started thinking really weird stuff, like what if, what if I made, <laughs> tried to print this book in color and color-coded the different characters? <laughs> this is a really weird idea, because digitally that wouldn't work at all for, you know, fucking EPUBs and stuff. And it's just kind of weird also, kind of a weird thing. So these names are better. But it just seemed so obvious now that Eve and Eva are just way too close. It's just confusing. It's unnecessary amounts of mental work that a reader would have to do to keep them straight. 
So I just realized like the main character should just be Evangelina. She just uses the whole name. And even just visually on the page, it's very simple. The person with the really long name with lots of syllables is the main character. And then Eva is the second. The, still has the closest name to her, but it's very easy like to parse the two. It's very distinct. And then Angel and Lena are the most different names and they're also the secondary characters. So I just decided as some kind of busy work as I was like kind of tired out for the day, kind of done working for the day, I should just go in and search and replace all the Eves and just switch them to Evangelina. But I didn't want to do just a search and replace because then it would like get words like whatever, you know, and it would just goof things up. So I decided to do it manually. Just to kind of take my time, trawl through all these notes, switch all the Eves to Evangelina. And again, it's just kind of good because it's like, it's kind of busy work, but it kind of got me back into the story because I wasn't reading every word, but I was at least glancing over every single note, all the documents that I had, and just kind of browsing and parsing them a little. And what I realized is I don't really remember doing this because it's been such a long time since I worked on this story. I don't really know when I did this, but there is a ton of work done on that story. Like not only tons of notes, but it's all laid out chronologically. Like it took me two days <laughs> to search and replace all of these because there's so much stuff. And it's the same as with all my stuff where the beginning is very filled out. The middle is pretty good. The ending is all set. And then the three quarter stretch is where it starts to get a bit, a bit looser. And at that point, the notes are not necessarily strictly chronological anymore. They're sort of in a jumble, but they're all there. And basically what I realized is I'm like, man, this story is ready. It is so ready. All I got to do is sit down and turn these notes into the real story. The whole thing is here. And again, I didn't realize that and I didn't remember that I had even done this work, you know? Because again, I was just picking away at it, just working on other stuff. And it's like, okay, I'll just do a little bit on this and a little bit on this. And whenever I felt a little burst of inspiration, it's like, oh, I'll go do this for a little while. And just inadvertently in the background, so in the background that I didn't realize I had done it, this thing's ready to fucking go. It's not one of these stories where there's like a key thing missing or some piece of the puzzle I don't have or even a big empty stretch. You know, even the dreaded three quarter wasteland is pretty good. It's pretty decided upon. If anything, it's like there's just too much stuff. I kind of just don't know how dire I want this story to get. But if I want it to get dire, the dire notes are in there <laughs> and browsing through it. I'm like, hmm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think I want the level of violence in some of these notes is probably not going to happen, <laughs> but, but it's there. And I just thought that's so cool. Cause it's like, okay, sure. This is taking me a long time. Sure. I'm going really slow, but I'm still hammering away at the main story every day. 
and then I'm just just doing stuff just by accident I'm just doing other stuff just and I think it helps in that sense too like it's still much better than in the olden days when I would just write when the whim fucking took me it's because I'm forcing myself to sit down every single day and work on my big fucking main novel that's why this other stuff is happening in the background even if I don't force myself to do that stuff every day even if that is just on a whim those whims are happening way more often because every day I'm sitting in front of my writing and the opportunity to get some work done is there and yeah it's just nice it just feels good because yeah even this one novel even though it is taking longer than I expected it to take it is going much more slowly than I thought it would but the overall enterprise here, the overall idea of me being a writer is going much, much better than it ever has. Because I got my flagship story, my big, slow, <laughs> fucking... What's a big, slow thing? <laughs> a big, slow ship that is just slowly moving. But behind it is the fleet, you know? Behind it is the fleet of the smaller stories, the stories that are not as far along and are not getting as much focus, but they're all still there and I'm still working on them here and there and just this little picking away, picking away just kind of in the background, it has inadvertently progressed a lot more than I realized and you know what, I think I better make this just an episode because if I tack on the other stuff I've got recorded this episode is going to be so fucking crazy long. So I guess the problem with my podcast acrobatics is these are going to be out of order now. Because the next episode that comes out was actually recorded before this one. But I think it is just better to split these up. Otherwise, this will be just the longest podcast of all time. So we'll call this an episode. And next episode is already in the can, so look forward to that <laughs> i guess if you're uh if you're really on the uh the brink of just like i don't know about this podcast anymore i feel like he hasn't said anything useful in a while well i can already spoiler warning tell you that's gonna happen next episode too so so i hope you found this rambling entertaining there's more where this came from <laughs> so look forward to it shit though i don't have uh Song of the day. I know what I'm going to play. <laughs> so this really is like fucking... <laughs> this is so dumb. This is doing like reverse podcasts. But in the next podcast, I talk a lot about this band The Good Life and their album, Album of the Year, and how it gave me all this inspiration for the romance story I was working on about the uh, people who meet in the airport. However, there was a Good Life song that uh, it's just too long. It's like eight minutes long. It's a really long song. So I did not play it in that episode. So I'll play it in this episode because I love it so much. I guess for more information, see next episode. <laughs> this will be like a little primer. But basically, long story short, this album, Album of the Year, is about a couple who meet 
and it's like the the course of their year-long relationship the album kind of traces you know they've just met and everything's exciting and everything's going great and then it just slowly devolves more and more and more but all the songs are from the perspective of the guy the guy who's kind of a barfly has a lot of female friends hangs out with women a lot maybe he's not necessarily cheating on his girlfriend but it's just so it's just so suspicious and just the way he is is just so hard to trust and he does nothing to alleviate that feeling you know but the whole thing is from his perspective until this one song called inmates and this is where you get to hear the woman in the relationship's perspective on what's going on and it's like oh man that's pretty uh it's easy to be sympathetic with her side of it. It's like, yeah, maybe I would have broke up with this guy too. This doesn't sound like a great situation. And this song also just, man, I don't know how far it'll go, but I had just, just this, this song alone, I wrote down a bunch of notes for an idea for a story. Cause it just, man, I just love it. The tone of it again, <laughs> this will maybe make more sense after you hear the next episode. I don't know. I'm sorry. Sorry that I'm goofing up the chronology here. But I think that's all you really need to know. Just imagine a, a girl who's really just met this cool guy, but they met at a bar. He is just a hanging out at a bar type of guy. She knew that about him. But then as the year goes on, it's like he really is a hanging out at the bar kind of guy. And he's a getting drunk with another woman all night kind of guy. And then they get in a cab and go across town to the after hours bar. And yeah, they didn't go home together and he didn't sleep with her. But what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, who is this fucking guy? Oh, there's such a good line in this song about how, you know, like she meets this guy and he, he says like, you know, uh, I, I'm probably going to hurt you in this relationship, but she's really infatuated with him and really into him. And it's like, I don't know. He's just uh, he's a hipster ass dude. You know, he's just saying hipster ass shit. But then she meets his, one of his ex-girlfriends and he said the same thing to her. And she starts thinking like, how much of this relationship was just pre-rehearsed? How much of, like, how much am I just a new puzzle piece, a new cog in this machine that you just keep running? You're just cranking this machine and it just, this pattern keeps happening and I'm just the new piece? Like, what the fuck is this? I love this song. It's fucking amazing. So this is Inmates by The Good Life. We'll continue that discussion next episode. I hope you'll meet me there. <laughs> Adios.
I can't be your 